0: Hey friends, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking about my five takeaways from the recent ACCT conference. Now, I'm not entirely sure if I go down like five, four, three, two, one, or I go up one, two, three, four, five. I don't really think there's hierarchy to these thoughts, so I'm just going to start with number. 1 Number 1 is people. So conferences for me serve a few different functions. One it's a work thing, so you know, we may be trying to sell product or get new clients or all those kind of things but this specific conference for me is often a an opportunity to hang out with like-minded people many of whom this is the only time I get to see them they travel from all over the country and it's like a like a mini reunion i remember when i first used to come to this i used to find it an extremely intimidating process to try to connect with people and Every single time I've come, I sort of connect a little bit more with one or two people. And so over the years, I've started to accumulate um, some great connections. And I want to highlight a few of these. This may not be the most interesting part of this episode, but I'm going to list some of the people that I connected with. And hopefully, if you're listening, thank you so so much for connecting. I really do appreciate the time to talk shop about training in the industry, we have other people that I really value. So, I'm just going to list some names. Wow, this is some good audio. Kevin Trump, Alex Moore, Jason Marker, all from Senigo, and all good friends and connections. Cody Roberts, Andrew Bogue, Joe Wild, Emmeline Brown. All four I know who listen to the podcast and came up to me specifically and mentioned that so I want to thank you for that and thank you for committing time to listening to me talk previous guests on the podcast who i was also able to give an enamel vpp pin to i like that it's vp pin it's like vertical play vertical play pin Ugh, it's annoying when you figure out something like that now I could have said, here's your vertical play pin, and I'm going to do that moving forwards. So previous guests that I have interviewed and connected with again at this conference includes Tom Leahy, Chris Ortiz, Chris Cavett, Michelle Cummings, Bryn Lottig, Rachel Haley, Bob Ryan, Rohan Shahani, Kevin Trump, Alex Moore again. And I think that may be it for previous guests on the podcast. So thank you to all of those. Also, these are just random other shout outs to people that I may have connected with and chatted with while I was there. Andy Brash, Paul Bland, Billy Simpson, Brenda Reed, Trevor Dunlap, Misey, Yen Kai Lai, Rob Armstrong, and all of the folks at AdventureWorks who I was able to chat with, they are awesome human beings. And I'm going to get hang out with them shortly when I join them at their Leap conference. So apologies if I have not mentioned someone that I spoke to. Please, you can just always reach out and say, what the hell, you never mentioned me. We had a great conversation about so-and-so. For me, this that kind of sums up um, a conference like this, the opportunity to connect. And and this is also in a very short window of opportunities to chat so um, i appreciate all the time you were willing to give me to talk with you because time is extremely a high commodity while at a conference okay so number two number two i wrote down mine and lisa's pre-conference workshop which was a critical lens on core concepts. And also the workshop that I led, Rebuilding Community Through Play, both of which I saw as being incredibly successful experiences. I just absolutely loved the conversation with people and loved the opportunity to work with people in those workshops. So I'm just going to briefly like cover the topics of which we discussed in sort of both of those. So the pre-conference workshop was a full day in that we had I think we had six people. The thing with all conferences and pre-cons in particular, you you really don't really know how many people are going to get. So you have to try to think about how you scale. We were given the roster for the pre-con, but you never know how many people might walk in on the day. So so you have to be able to scale. This is actually kind of an ideal number of people, even though you might hear six and go, wow, that's a low number. This was not an activity-heavy workshop. This was a discussion-based uh, workshop. So the, the number of six actually kind of worked out really, really well. And I think that those who were in that workshop probably felt that and benefited from the number of people in that workshop. This was a kind of opportunity for us as educators to look at some core concepts that we were taught and just critique them, not necessarily say they're bad, but what about them can we change or correct or, or adapt to be able to fit our needs in a way that maybe we didn't think that they were currently um, achieving. An example of things were comfort zones, challenge by choice, group norms, sequencing, do you have to do name games, icebreakers, initiatives, lows, highs, specialty elements in that kind of order, or can you shake it up a little bit? And looking as well at specific element operations and say, just because this is the way you were taught doesn't necessarily mean the way you have to use it. A prime example, and and a part of the workshop that I particularly enjoyed, partly because I got to play, was us using our portable low element that we call the cube. And now this is a play on Spider's Web. There'll be a link to looking at it in the description. What I like about this is that it takes the constructs of what, and that maybe some of the limitations on a Spider's Web, which might be the lifting part, the fixed location, the body image issues that result in it and the lack of repeatability and kind of flips those four components into how can we take those weaknesses and develop them into a product that means now those are strengths. So the cube is portable, lifting is not a component to it, Body image shouldn't be a concern because you can adapt it however you like it in terms of those openings and shapes. And it's incredibly repeatable because every time you pack it away, it's very unlikely that you're going to set it up the same way that you packed it away. So all of those things contribute to it. And there was a specific moment when we were running that where we'd set up a three-dimensional challenge in the middle. And I gave myself a hard challenge to see if I could circumnavigate some of these webs. And the fact that everyone sort of like joined in to support and spot and give advice, it felt like a super well-functioning team. And what was interesting in the discussion is that at no point did we even do spotting practice, and yet people stepped in to support and spot people. And so that led to, a, well, do we need to do some of the spotting activities prior to Lowe's? Can we just encourage people to be responsible and support each other? And do we need to go through some of those steps? Now, I'm not saying either way. I would still probably do a lot of the spotting activities. But the aim of this day was just to allow us to start questioning things a little bit, thinking about how we operate and saying, are these cut and dry, clear things? Or is there room for us to change and shift? And we talked about standards and local operating procedures and those kind of things and those things that you can't really change, like authorities holding jurisdiction like an ANSI or an OSHA standard however there are certain things programmatically that you can adapt to so I'm not going to go into all the details on what we talked about I think that what I'm probably going to do is each of the subsections that we talked about I might make them into an episode and invite some people on uh, to talk about those things because I think that there was some real richness in those conversations. The second workshop that I led rebuilding community through play was an opportunity to talk about how we connect with our participants, and this was much more games-based. I did an Ubuntu sequence where I added in some new ideas around the use of Ubuntu, and also um, utilized our Emotions cards, a newer product that we're currently working on, there, and a series of activities that coincide with those. So the only thing I'll say about that is, we think at High Five it's so critical and important to talk about emotions when you are dealing with a lot of the work that we do but talking about them in a very clear and concise way and so that there's a sequence of activities and progression of learning and that we build our emotional literacy and we also role model as leaders working with our participants on utilizing this kind of language and talking about these things more openly. It was a great workshop. There were... Some emotion shared, and I appreciated those people sharing those emotions. It was a very humbling experience to see a group of adults being very vulnerable with each other. And I know that a lot of people got stuff out of that, including myself. So I often see a really good workshop, not necessarily about giving hundreds of activity ideas, but having an emotional response with a group of other adults and peers and leaving, having some inspiration around some way. So I hope that I gave that to people and, and I appreciated um, receiving that myself. I also left that workshop feeling pretty awesome. That is number two. Number three. This is the hardest number for me, mainly because I struggle to say that number. I don't know if it's an accent. I've, I've often wondered, is it an accent thing? Is it an England thing? I think it's an England specific accent thing because when I'm in, the, in England, no one really put, pointed it out to me until I came to the States that I pronounced that number with an F instead of a TH. So I would say free as in, yay, I'm free as that number. So I have to be somewhat intentional about trying to pronounce the TH, but it does not come naturally. And yeah. So anyway, the thing I just put here under my third takeaway was the question, what was Portland like? So I was in Portland, Oregon, never been to Oregon before. It was a new state for me and a new city with Portland. And I can honestly say I have no idea what Portland is like. This is a behind-the-scenes, almost like the curtains, opening up the curtains to the the world of traveling to conferences. Many of you may know this because you travel to conferences, but there's also a difference between traveling and attending a, a conference and working a conference. And pretty much ever since I've worked at High Five, I've worked conferences. And what that means is I present at workshops, and I try to present as much as possible. And also, we have a booth in the exhibit hall, which then when I'm not presenting, I'm going there and talking to people and connecting with people. And that's my job. So what that ends up meaning for the conference world is it's a little less glamorous than sometimes it might seem. Like I get to go to places like I'm going in April to Palm Springs in California, and I'll get from the airport, I'll get a car ride to the convention center, I walk into the convention center, it will be AC, even though 100 degrees outside, I'll still be wearing long pants and uh, a sweater and all those kind of things. And I won't actually get to see much of the, the stuff. I always consider like being able to try to budget out a couple of days either end, but um, it rarely works in terms of work schedule. So my reality is like I don't know what Portland is like. So I am excited, though, about the opportunity to eventually get back there um, and be able to explore. I interacted with a few people who had done that during the conference, like skipped out of a session or something or uh, skipped a session, session to be able to go and hang out and um, I'm envious of that and sounded like Portland is very cool and I'm excited to be able to go back there in the future. Number four. So this one feels like a big one. It felt like, the, from my perspective, one of the overarching themes for me as a trainer attending this conference was the notion of what's known as a QCP. Now, that stands for Qualified Course Professional. Now, the reason this comes up a lot is this, I, I attended, so on Tuesday, I attended the PVM Symposium. Now, PVM stands for Professional Vendor Member and those are professional vendor members that are accredited by ACCT to deliver um, work that is centered around ACCT standards such as the trainings, the building and the inspection is all um, under the umbrella of ACCT. And all of the professional vendors and members of those professional vendors meet the day prior to the pre-cons and the start of the conference starting for an individual day Uh, symposium. And there's often several different topics to talk about. And most of those tend to be centered around some form of accreditation and some updates to ACCT's standards and policies that they're going to let us know prior to the general session of the conference. So in that, this wasn't the whole time, but there was a Function of this to talk about ACCT committees because a lot of PVM members serve on committees. One of those was an update on, I think they're called the QCP Task Force, and their goal is to come up with clear, defined criteria for what makes someone a qualified course professional. And until they do that, certain other things are not going to be able to move forward, such as the idea of a universal portfolio an update on the current challenge course portfolio that exists today and also trainer credentialing which has been a thing that's been talked about a bunch in terms of how do we actually credential and certify trainers so the update essentially was that there's not much to update there they've been working hard but they're really struggling to narrow down on these features then I went to a trainer forum and which was held by Tom Leahy, lots of traders turned up and a similar conversation came up. We were talking about trainer credentialing, but what does the point of credentialing for us and what is the hope that a credential trainer can or cannot do? What are these parameters? I then went to the QCP task force workshop, similar scenario. Let's talk about all the qualities and characteristics of what makes someone qualified and we're going to write them all on the board. Now, this is just my opinion on this. But this is going to be a very challenging nut to crack in terms of the industry because everyone has opinions on what makes someone qualified and what's the bar at which point we want to say someone is qualified. How many, if it's going to be about hours and days and amounts of training and uh, the skills, like there are lots of different parameters to think of and consider. The takeaway that I had the main takeaway I had from all of this is that I actually think that we are all going to struggle as trainers in the country and across the world to be able to come up with clear defined what is a successful and good training versus what is a below standard or below par training until we actually truly understand what everyone is training. What are the limitations on these trainings what are the things that we are actually training what are the skill sets that uh, we provide to our trainees what's the methodology by which we teach all of these things and I was having this really great conversation with Dick Hammond oh Dick Hammond another name for the number one and I was having a really good conversation with him about this and the idea really stemmed from we train, so I train, the way I was trained. And it's often this notion of this single story. I have this single story from one person, and it contributed to me being a trainer, and I often will train the way that I was trained. And for me specifically, it's through this lens of high five. And I haven't had the opportunity to train with a lot of different vendors. So one of the things I'm actually doing in April is I'm going to be joining AdventureWorks in Canada and be, I'm going to be attending their Level 2 training. The point for me is to try to learn as much as I can from what they're teaching and how they're teaching so it can inform my teaching style. I think that the only way for trainers, or one of the ways, one, a big way, that we could be better able to have conversations about some of these standards and the, the, the criteria is for us to do far more trainer exchange programs. Now, these could be costly and timely, uh, so my thought on that would be to do some form of an exchange program, right? So it's no cost to the trainers but or the organizations, but there's a, you know, I'll do this for you if you do this for me, or maybe you send a person to our training and we'll send a person to your training, that kind of a, an exchange. And that way, everything, everyone sort of grows from that. The only way that this doesn't work is if we isolate ourselves and not be willing to share the information and keep it all uh, under lock and key because there's no way for us to be able to get criteria if we're unwilling to know what other people are doing. Now, I will say, in a year, I'm not going to be able to just keep going to other people's trainings. As much as I would love to do that, I'm not entirely sure High Five would approve of our trainers constantly being on the road training. But I think that there is a multi-year plan that we could have where professional development for each other and also the benefit of the industry at large, we could be willing to do one or two a year in some form of an exchange. So I encourage you to do that with other vendors you know as well. If you're if you're listening to this and high five is not your vendor, and that's okay, whoever your vendor is, and you're a trainer of some form, then I encourage you to check out somebody else, right? There's no reason to stick with the same trainer every time. And they're not, not only training organization, but trainer. Right, like myself and Lisa Hunt and Rich Keegan and Hannah Bailey and Chris Danboys, we all train slightly different. We all have our individual instructor or individual trainer preferences when it comes to things. I know that to be certain. So if you've if I've trained you year on year out, have a different trainer, right? Like there's there's no offense to that. It's just an ability to be able to get a broader scope of methodologies and ideas and thoughts and activities and all those kind of things. I think that is awesome. The end result should still be the same. The end result should still be a quality training that leaves your staff feeling competent and confident and able to operate your course effectively and safely. Those are the goals, but the, the ways that you get there, the ways you learn knots and all those kinds of things might be unique and different. And I think that's kind of, for me, it's exciting to be able to have that opportunity to learn. And number five. Okay, number five for me is a repeat of number one, and that is people. And it's just the last thing to say. Not, I'm not going to list all those names again. That would be really funny, though. Not for me, but for you all, you could just keep skipping, I guess, press the 30 thing. But I'm not going to do that. It's just an opportunity to say, once again, thank you to all those people I was connecting with. And I appreciate you all. And... I also appreciate those people who I wasn't able to maybe connect to. I appreciated people being there. It's just nice to interact with a group of people who are all excited about the same thing that we do. I think about that with this community of listeners, you who are listening to this, and also to those who connect on Instagram as well. As a reminder, it's at Vertical Playpen, is that I benefit, and I continue to benefit from this kind of platform, being able to speak with you all and also interacting with people who I will continue to interact with, I have lined up some awesome episodes with some great people. That was another benefit of me going as I was able to go up to people and say, hey, would you be willing to be on the podcast? And I've got a great list of episodes and interviews lined up. So hopefully as well, you'll benefit from some of that as well. But for me, it's a huge opportunity to be able to connect with people, talk shop and learn and grow myself and By putting it out there into the world and you hearing this, I hope that you're able to learn and grow alongside me. And thank you for being here on this journey. So anyway, those were uh, my five takeaways from ACCT's conference. Thank you to ACCT for putting on a great conference. And thank you to all for listening and connecting and sharing. And I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast. Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think the guy. <laughs>